Hello and welcome once again to The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley. And in this episode, we're going to start out by sizing up the state of the Democratic primary race in Massachusetts' 7th Congressional District, which, as you almost certainly know, pits longtime incumbent Mike Capuano against Boston City Councilor Ayanna Presley. A bit later, we'll also talk about the flurry of primary challenges to state legislators who represent parts of Boston. So whatever you do, don't stop listening prematurely. Joining me are three oracles of Massachusetts politics, <laughs> Peter Kadzis of WGBH News, Yawu Miller of the Bay State Banner, and Joan Vinaki of the Boston Globe. Joan, Yawu, and Peter, thank you all for being here. Hey, great to be here, Good to Adam. be here, Adam. So Mike Capuano and Ayanna Presley just had a high-profile debate at UMass Boston that was sponsored by that school, by The Globe, and by WBUR. They have another big debate coming up on August 15th on WGBH's Greater Boston, moderated by Jim Browdy. And, of course, the election is right around the corner on September 4th, the day after Labor Day. What, as you three see it, is the state of this race at this point in time? Peter, let's start with you. The state of this race, that's that's a good, good question. Well, let me get a couple of things out of the way first. I, I think that this race is one of the most important in the nation because Capuano has been a longtime incumbent, but who is not surrendering his seat. And Presley has been fighting very hard. But I think that in this particular race, how it concludes will be a fairly accurate picture for this neck of the woods of um, what defines a progressive or, you know, how far to the left you have to be to be a progressive. I guess I have to cross off my do they have different conceptions of what it means to be a progressive question. <laughs> Here's what, and people may disagree with me. I found the debate excellent. It was that both of them were eloquent. They were passionate. But they were both saying the same thing, pretty much. That's how huh. I see the state of this race. Okay, I want to take with, issue with you, but I'm going to wait. Yeah. Uh, Joan Vinaki is waving her hands, looking to get in here. Joan, what do you think the state of the race is? Well, I see it a little bit differently than Peter. If you go by the polls, which I don't think anyone should go by, Ayanna Presley is still the underdog. Everything that I've seen shows a... a a gap between her and Capuano. Not insurmountable, I, not but Not insurmountable, but a gap. However, I agree with you that this race is important. I don't think it's so much about the definition of a progressive. I think it's about how you define leadership. And I think she did a really good job of trying to cast it in a different way than Capuano. To him, it's the old-fashioned thing. The longer you're there, you know the system, you know how to make it work, you know how to push the buttons, you'll be chairman of a committee, yada, yada, yada. I think she did a really good job of, of making people think, well, gee, maybe that's not what leadership is all about. That's just an, the old way of looking at it. It matters, but it's not the whole thing. For listeners who might not have caught the entire debate, or maybe even not any of the debate that we're talking about, what was the alternate conception of leadership that she put forward, would you say? I mean, she said that she would organize and listen to the people. And so she so she implied that she would legislate or, you know, that she would lead by listening to the people more. She didn't necessarily excite examples where Capiano had not done that. But I don't think, and from my perspective, I don't think she presented a 
a well thought out or well articulated model of what that would look like. But I, I'll give you one example that I thought worked really well when she talked about um, Kavanaugh, Trump nominee for the Supreme Court, and obviously if you're in the House, you're not voting on a Supreme Court justice. However, she said that she was working to organize phone banks. Yeah, that was she the put together example. A phone bank. And, I mean, that was yeah. it was a solid example, and I, that resonated with me. She could have given others. You know, maybe she could, she could have broadened it beyond that. But I thought that was a really good example of thinking outside the typical box of what you would do. She also, in the BUR uh, Globe UMass Boston debate, I thought implied on a bunch of different occasions that Mike Capuano had basically decided, oh, Democrats are in the minority in the House and there's not much I can do and I'm just going to sit on my hands and feel glum and depressed. And I was surprised not to hear, and maybe I missed it, but I didn't hear Capuano push back on that assertion, which I think makes him sound kind of bad, defeatist. Is it fair to say that she was trying to paint him with this kind of glum, gus, sad sack Democrat brush? And if so, do you think she succeeded? I think I mean, I think I think he his point of like sort of listing his accomplishments and, you know, things that did not involve votes, but actually delivering, you know, money to um, community health centers, health the centers, Ruggles right. Tea Station, Fairmount the Fairmount Line, line, Fairmount right. line yes. And, you know, and then, you know, and then sort of Chelsea, you know, he mentioned Chelsea as well with the Silver Line, like sort of delivering, you know, federal dollars to transit health, you know, and other infrastructure things. Just sort of, you know, his way of saying, you know, I'm doing things without, you know, like we can do things without being the majority in the in in Congress, but it's not. That's it's a good not point. As, that was a yeah. way of pushing back indirectly. Well, I, I mean, he, he sort of came out the box with that, so he wouldn't necessarily come back to those points to refute what she said. Peter Kansas. Well, I don't disagree with anything. Good to Jonah hear. Jonah said. <laughs> um, and I think Joan makes an excellent point about that stylistic difference in the Kavanaugh. But I'll tell you, this, like all political races, at their base are about power. And Capuano has a little piece of power in Washington, and Councilor Presley wants it. It's as simple as that at the very end. And that's the nature of politics. You know, as they'd say on Seinfeld, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, this is about someone who has power and someone else who wants it. And I think the, the whole business about different styles of leadership is nice. It, it's window dressing. No freshman congressperson has any leadership. There, there are styles there. And I'll tell you, where Presley is really, really good is she is almost evangelical in the way she makes her case. She's always been eloquent ever since I first, you know, ran across her in politics. But she's now, you know, handsomely evangelical. And I think she's almost therapeutic in the approach she takes to politics. She leaves people thinking that you will feel better, you will be a better person if you vote for me. I think Capuano's more meat and potatoes. Here's what I can do for you. Here's what I'm doing for you. And I see those as real differences. But to me, they're both selling points for two people who want power. Well, I think you're right about power. But I think just as she's kind of redefining or trying to get voters to redefine the idea of leadership, I think you could th say that power has been redefined in 
today's world. It isn't just about a committee chairmanship. Yes, it, it is about votes. It is about being the chairman of a committee, but it's also about um, a platform on social media. Yeah. It's also being a voice on cable TV. I could see Ayanna Presley being a very powerful voice on uh, MSNBC as a regular you know, visitor. And in terms of a freshman congressman or a congresswoman, well, she cited Seth Moulton. He's not a freshman anymore, but he's managed to carve out an identity, um, even with the party not being in power. Right. So was Joe Kennedy III. And Catherine um, Clark. And has Catherine <laughs> Clark. So it's a different way of thinking about it and, and harnessing the different avenues of power in today's world. What did you all make of Ayanna Presley focusing on disparities and inequities? in this congressional district as she didn't say outright, you know, these gaps in wealth or in health care outcomes are your fault, Mike Capuano. But that, I think, was the clear implication. It's a similar argument to what Tahira Amatul Wadud is trying to do with Richard Neal out in western Massachusetts. To me, it seems like a real risk to accuse an incumbent congressperson of bearing responsibility for big structural gaps that exist in the area they represent. And I found myself thinking, why doesn't Mike Capuano ask Ayanna Presley, what, if anything, she's done to rectify big inequalities in the city of Boston, where you've been a council person for a few years? Well, he, he, he maybe he should have. He wasn't really, um, he, he did go through a cranky phase early on in the debate <laughs> where I thought he was in, in danger of, of having that chip on his shoulder fall right off. You're talking about when he wanted to respond to Presley and, and, and kept talking over Magna Chakra. He was gloriously yeah. grouchy there. Yeah, yeah. he was. Well, it was a hot day. I think it was getting hot in there. But I, I do think it's a fair question to ask. And it's not just that it's the incumbent. It's the Democratic Party. They've been talking the talk forever. It's about time somebody walk the walk and deliver. I, I think she's within her, her, you know, perfectly within her bounds to ask that question and put it to him. You know, I'd take that, Joan. I'd, I'd take that line of argument more seriously if she would be willing to come out and say, well, I'm not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi. Now, the reason I bring that up is, you know, you want to be a change agent? Let's go to the mat. Now, by the way, it would be it may be political suicide for her to say that because a lot of the women's money she's gotten around the nation, you know, could dry up if she were to do that. You know, it's it's an interesting theoretical argument. How radical can you be on the line? Now, Mike Capuano's, you know, come out in favor of impeachment, which for him, I think, is a little bit of a stretch. But, you know, no impeachment's going to happen if if the Republicans hold the House. Well, listen, you know, so I almost think that if, that's an easy shot. But, Peter, if if by some miracle the Democrats take back the House, yeah, how do you... Uh, you have to give Nancy Pelosi some credit for that. I mean, I think mm. personally, I think it's a oh, totally, <laughs> I think it's a totally reasonable position for Ayanna Presley and for Capuano, who kind of backed away from at one point saying that he thought Pelosi should go to the debate yesterday, where he kind of said what Ayanna said. Let's see what happens, and let's see who the candidates are. I mean, I think that makes perfect political sense, and I'm going to let somebody else talk now. Well, I, think, I think one of the, going back to one of the points you made um, that you know Capuano could have hit her on her record. I think it's one of her you know one of her weaknesses. You know, could be one of her weaknesses is that you know what has she done 
in the city council. Now, to be fair, like most city councilors don't get to do much because we have a strong mayor system in Boston. But the kind of you know progressive change that a lot of Democrats want to see within the party and in Washington was not her brand while she's been in the city council. So, I mean, I think that's kind of an interesting thing that hasn't really surfaced yet. I don't know that Capuano, you know, scores points by hitting at her. Like, he's kind of playing a more defensive game, and so far that's been good for him. Is that because the, to use an overused term, the optics would just be so bad if he accused her of not getting anything done on the council? It would just... White male incumbent accusing African-American female challenger of not doing her job well, and it would just double back and hurt him? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what calculus goes into that. It's hard to say. But, but um, yeah, I mean, she, you know, on the council, she's been very cautious. You know, Jackson, Tito Jackson, when he was in the council, was the um, the gadfly, the person who was kind of pushing back on the mayor and asking questions about equity, very vociferously asking questions about equity and you know, all, all those questions about inequality in housing, in schools, et cetera, that, that uh, you know, are mirror what's happening around the nation. Worth mentioning, probably, that Ayanna Presley's husband works for the Walsh administration, right? That's which was, you know, one of the things which I think the four of us have actually talked about together is the skill with which Marty Walsh co-opted all the people who could be alternate centers of political gravity. And one of the ways he did that, I, I wouldn't say he co-opted Ayanna Presley, but he contained her a little bit. By, yeah, he uh, did. And if Capuano comes or came too hard against Presley on that, you would get a pain in the neck like me saying, come on, Congressman. City councilors have very limited power, so let's not overplay your hand there. And they do. And Presley has come face-to-face with the conundrum of trying to be a change agent on a council, you know, which has very limited power. But I think her timing is excellent. I mean, there's a limit to how long you can keep your self-respect and stay on the Boston City Council. And I think that she sensed she was approaching it, and, you know, she did the ambitious thing, and she's grabbed for the ring. And, you know, I applaud her for that. But, but I tend to look at this as, as a pure power play. I just want to say, I, I don't want to sound like I'm Ayanna Presley's press secretary here, but just to sort of try to make the case, A, to I agree with you, the city council can't do much. Most of them try to find an issue that they can generate some headlines on. I think she has carved out a few issues, but again, show the lens that she's talking about, a female lens, the lens of a, um, you know, a black woman who is representing the interests of teenagers and children and young women. And those issues don't always resonate as strongly with, uh, in the ears of, of certain people. But to some people, you know, those are the issues that get overlooked and don't get talked about unless a woman is, the one, is going to take that platform and make it her own. And I think that she did do those, uh, take on those issues. I think, I think she did an excellent job of speaking out about those issues and making sure they're part of the conversation. But as far as passing actual ordinances and, you know, creating the actual change, I think her, her biggest accomplishment was probably liquor licenses for restaurants, which, you know, you can't understate the importance of that for revitalizing uh, struggling communities, communities that don't have vibrant uh, commercial districts. But it perhaps stands alone in all of her years on the council as, you know, one thing that she's done that's actually, you know, had a major impact on the city. 
All right. So what are the question marks as we look ahead to the primary election? One of my big question marks is uh, what role, if anything, Marty Walsh is going to assume in this. I mean, he's come out and back Capuano. How hard is he going to work for Capuano? It's impossible to say how hard his organization will work on behalf of Capuano, but, but you know, members of his organization have also joined into local legislative races as well. So, you know, they might ha- have, you know, they might be spread a little thin. I mean, my unscientific read on Capuano's, like, strength, just looking at the forum in Dudley Square last week, he had a lot of organized uh, labor um, supporting him, mm-hmm. you know, pretty broad cross section of of groups like sort of established groups, and you know who who can turn out some of their membership. So having you know the mayor's people on board, it might mean that while they're dropping literature for other people, they'll drop his as well. It has some, you know, should, it, it could have some effect, but it's hard. To, it's always impossible to say how much heft a mayoral endorsement has. You guys have any? Uh, oh, Joan, I, go ahead. I was going to say I I started out by saying she's the underdog, and I still believe that. Um, and I think the Walsh support can mean a lot. She's, it's always about turnout, right? That's the old chestnut. She's got to turn out people that are enthusiastic and maybe beyond the usual turnout on the day after Labor Day. So it's definitely an uphill battle for her. And maybe, I mean, that next debate could be important if Capuano still comes across as grumpy that could work in her to her benefit. By the way, when we mentioned his grumpiness in the uh, UMass Boston debate a moment ago, what I kept thinking of was the piece that your colleague Michael Resendiz wrote about Capuano when he ran for, I think, governor a few years back. Or was he considering a run for governor? It, it was a piece. Mull- yeah, it was mulling it. Could he have ran been a governor against or Ma- yeah. Martha Coakley. Was is that what it was? In a primary, okay, so my I, mind I is the mind of a ninety-five-year-old man. For but what I remember unequivocally, with total certitude, was the lead of Michael Rosendi's story, which was, and then there was the time he threatened to kill the dog. Do you remember this? And it was about <laughs> I don't it remember, was about but Mike I got to being in a park in Somerville and getting ticked off about some dog that was running around and maybe menacing his there kids. There was also and, a really funny video that's probably been destroyed that was online at the Globe that somebody was interviewing him and a mosquito landed or something oh, and he no. attacked it and just went <laughs> after it. And it, it wasn't the most soothing image that you want to put across as a politician. See, see let, let me offer an alternative... That's passion, right? ...reading. Well, not of the mosquito. <laughs> but when he got grumpy, and I was chuckling as I'm listening. See, I made the decision to listen and not to watch because I wanted to hear it one way. And then I know other people who were watching it and I wanted to hear what they thought about it is. I thought, well, no one can accuse him of not wanting to be reelected, of taking it easy. But that can be carried too far. I mean, I thought that Presley was very skillful in, has become very skillful in communicating her passion in a very smooth and eloquent way. And I imagine that in the television debate that Jim Browdy's going to host, that, you know, that is something that will serve her well. I I don't think anyone's ever going to accuse Capuano of being telegenic. So if you had to give one bit of counsel, and we'll wrap up the uh, congressional conversation, then move on to some more local stuff. If you were going to give either of these candidates a piece of advice heading into their 
uh, WGBH Jim Browdy debate. Yabu Miller, what would it be? <laughs> I mean, I think with, with Capuano, his strength is also his weakness, which is he says what's on his mind. And I say that it's a strength because people find that refreshing in a politician. And it's a weakness because in a debate, and when you get in those heated exchanges, something could come out. So I think Capuano's, I imagine his people are giving him, you know, advice around that, which is sort of, you know, put a little two-second delay between what goes through your head and what comes off your tongue. Peter Kadzis, advice for either of these candidates? I don't really have any. I'd say keep up, keep what you're doing. I think they're both running good campaigns. She's an underdog, and, and she needs to be the underdog. You yeah. know, again, the paradox, she has to be the underdog You're right. if she is to win. Joan Vanaki, last word to you. I would tell Mike Capilano to keep the pressure on her and ask her to be more concrete about her accomplishments on the city council and be smile more. And I would tell Ayanna Presley to come up with more concrete examples of what she means by redefined leadership, but keep up the passion. All right. So that wraps up our complete take on the seventh congressional race. But as you three know, there are some really interesting primary challenges taking place right now on the state legislative level as well. I know this in large part from reading stuff that you've written about these races, Yabu Miller. The one that has probably gotten the most attention is Nika Elugardo's challenge to state rep Jeffrey Sanchez, who also happens to be the House chair of Ways and Means. But there are a couple other big local names, state reps Byron Rushing and Liz Malia, who are fighting to keep their jobs as well. I am. And Angelo Scotia. And thank in, you for mentioning in, uh, that. Yeah, one of Peter's favorites. Yeah. I know. Yes, it's an it's an important challenge, but I I don't think there's is that race has as much in common with the it other doesn't. Three. It's the outlier. Well, yeah. my big question is what these races that we're talking about have in common with the Presley Capuano race and. You know, what are the commonalities and what are the differences? Because it seems to me that there are some big ones. Uh, Yabu, why don't you kick this off since you've covered these a lot? Okay. Some of the commonalities are are that, um, you know, they're, they're Democrats fighting Democrats. You know, progressives, Liz Molly, you can't challenge her progressive credentials, nor can you challenge Byron Rushing. I mean, you know, actually, they are being challenged. What the three? Let of, me interrupt you there yeah. before you go on. How are they being challenged? Because I take your point. Byron Rushing and, and Liz Malia, as many of our listeners will know, have a long history going back years of fighting for things like I think of Rushing as being a champion of uh, same sex marriage, along with Liz Malia. I think of Rushing championing things like safe needle access in the early years of the AIDS epidemic. I could be wrong about that. It was right. before a, my arrival a, here. But a leader in marriage equality. Very um, forward. Yeah, forward yeah. looking. So how are challengers pointing at people like Byron Rushing and Liz Molly and saying, you are not progressive enough? All three of them are part of the speakers, uh, Speaker Robert DeLeo's leadership team. And that, you know, DeLeo's house leadership is where a lot of progressive causes go to die. And so Sanchez saying that the Safe Communities Act, you know, there wasn't sufficient support in the House, his challenger, Nika Elogardo, is going to put that on him, that uh, he could have pushed it through. With an assist from Paul Diego Craney. Of, uh, <laughs> uh, remind me of, of, of Paul's, uh, Paul's organization. I'm blanking on the name it's of it It's right called now. the Mass Fiscal Alliance. Mass Fiscal Alliance, yeah, who sent out this... Thank you, Jeff Sanchez, tribute after oh, Safe Communities. a beautiful piece of Trumpy and dirty trick. Very, <laughs> very well, artful. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he's trolling him. I would call it Putin-esque because Craney is, you know, as far 
from the, the left wing of the Democratic Party as you can get. And he's basically what he's doing um, with this one and, and also in Juana Matias's uh, bid for Congress up in the uh, third congressional district is kind of pushing on the the far left candidates and, and sort of holding them up against, you know, this more centrist Democrats. I feel like like he's trying to sow discord. He's trying to accentuate whatever discord there is in the Democratic Party. We live in interesting times. Peter Kansas, you, you have paid some of you were a moderator, right? At, at uh, one, yeah, and I've been to a lot of the forums and I've been for the last several weeks have been semi-living up at the state house, either not so much physically, but spiritually. And you live in JP, so you yes, have that, a, I'm, a, I'm affected, a view of these yeah. from, from close proximity. You're getting, so your, the, you're getting the, your door knocked. Yeah. Of the races that <laughs> well, we, I'm not. <laughs> of the races we've talked about, which one has piqued your interest most? Is it Sanchez and El Lugardo? Yeah, that's not... The, listen, the, the Malia and the Sanchez races have really piqued my interest. And the, this is um, revenge aimed at, this is really aimed at uh, Bob DeLeo. And in some ways, these races are much more interesting than the Capuano-Presley race, you know, where we can talk about big thoughts and what it means nationally. And by the way, it does have implications nationally. If Presley were to be elected, Joan is quite right. MSNBC will be dusting off a chair for her. Any of these three people get elected, and they're going nowhere fast. Not because they're not talented. Nika Elguado, I think, is a very intellectually attractive candidate. The manner in which she is campaigning is very similar to the, the way in which Presley's campaigning. I think listening to her, her appeal is, you know... Um, yeah, there's a little virtue signaling here, but I think you would honestly feel like you're a better person if you vote for her. I mean, to me, the differences are laughable between all of these candidates in the same way that I'm dismissive about the issue differences between Capuano and Presley. The difference is that you take a bill like a very complicated bill like um, criminal justice reform. Many of us who were perhaps too cynical and, you know, followed state politics too closely, we were amazed how much give there was to progressives in the criminal justice bill. Now, was there enough from a progressive point of view? No, there wasn't. And their differences are quite legitimate. But it was a compromise. And again, I may be too close to the sausage making. Yeah. Um, that was a compromise that no one saw coming. Do you want it or don't you? Are we better off with it or without it? It's as simple as that. Joan Vernacchi, it's my sense that despite the point Peter just made, which I think is a really good one, that there is this growing discontent on the left with Bob DeLeo's stewardship of the House and that a lot of people who are maybe feeling the, the uptick in left-wing slash progressive energy that we're seeing nationally right now are identifying DeLeo as an impediment to making Massachusetts the kind of place they want to make it. Is that Am I overstating it, or is well, that... I'm going to start off with a confession that, unlike Peter, who thinks he's too close to the sausage-making, I feel like I'm really far away from the sausage-making, so I don't feel like I'm, I'm an expert on the ins and outs of what's going on on Beacon Hill. And maybe it's just my fate to be counterintuitive always about the way I think about things, but not progressive enough, to me, is code for other things. 
I think there, there is a progressive issue going on, although like what's not progressive enough in Massachusetts would be communism somewhere else in the country. But <laughs> oh, at any rate. that's my favorite line. <laughs> But not I almost did a spit take right there, actually, not this big mouthful of seltzer. Not progressive enough um, is code for, this is a generational shift going on here. True, very true. This, this is young people saying, it's my turn. And looking at Bob DeLeo and looking at all these people who have a long track record and saying, when are you guys getting out of the way? It's my turn. It's about new versus old. It's about newcomer versus incumbent. It's about a new voice versus familiar. And I mean, I think that that's really a big piece of what's happening. And you just can't hold on forever, no matter what your piece of the turf is. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's certainly the case with um, Jonathan Santiago, who's a, a surgeon at Boston Medical Center who's running against uh, Byron Rushing, where I haven't seen a, uh, a debate. I don't think there's actually been a debate in that race, but... He's just, um, you know, Byron's been in office since 1982, I believe, and he's um, he's somebody who was probably born right about then. And, uh, you know, running a really energetic campaign, a lot of volunteers. He, by the end of May, he'd knocked every door in the district while rushing still had like a couple of months to go in session. So that um, is he's remarkable. had quite a jumpstart. But I, I do see in um, Eligardo and Sanchez and um, where I think that's where the ideological differences are the greatest and, you know, actual votes, the legislature's failure to update the foundation budget, uh, the House really, you know, pushed back on the Senate. It comes down to DeLeo and his attitude toward taxation, which is that he continuously says there's no appetite for new taxes in Massachusetts, where clearly with the millionaire's tax, now this isn't everybody being taxed, this is a small class of people. There was an appetite for that, that did poll really well. You know, no movement on that, no new revenue. So therefore, a lot of these things that they are progressive, those things that progressives really want, but they're also things that the mayor of Brockton and the mayor of, you know, of Fall River really want as well. You know, one of the um, the members of JP Progressives put together a video where they asked, you know, Sanchez and Elugardo side by side, do you support uh, mandatory minimums? And, you know, Sanchez would not get rid of mandatory minimums beyond what the legislature did. And Elugardo said there was more room for that. They went through a number of issues just to show the gap between the two of them. And it's a pretty substantial gap. Let me give Bob DeLeo some advice because DeLeo was the one they're really running against. I think that it's not. DeLeo's fiscal conservatism that will get him in trouble. It's the fact that things are not debated fully enough on Beacon Hill. There's a lot to debate in that funding. There's more to debate there than whether the money is there to do it. Part of the debate is would Boston lose a million dollars if this funding formula were adopted? You know, that's sort of a big issue. <laughs> And the fact that it's not been debated is let the, the facts come out on the table. But there's an important thing to add here. If not DeLeo, DeLeo's apparent successor at this point is Ronald Mariano, who's way more conservative than him. Mm. All the progressives are doing are knocking other progressives off with someone more progressive. They're not seeding the House with people who are going to vote, you know, against Mariano, who's going to go into that race with the Republicans on his side. I want to give the last word to Joan because she has been taking, I think, furious notes while Yahoo and Peter 
have been offering their closing thoughts. So well, I don't, this is like now the pressure's on. What, yeah, what, if I could it read better be deep. No, it isn't that deep. I was just going to say, if I were Bob DeLeo, I'd hire a food taster. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think that if he's perceived as the albatross, which he appears to be, that that I mean, I I know I hear the same Mariano stuff. I guess, I mean, those things aren't set in. Stone. Yeah, they can stone. change. And if a new uh, crowd moves in, if, if a new crowd of progressives move in, the, again, the old um, formula doesn't necessarily work. Uh, Here's why. It's a replacing one with one. If, if more progressives were elected in total numbers, that changes things considerably. But if you're replacing one lefty with someone who's even more lefty, the number of votes aren't changing. But conversely, if you are a House member who sees people who make common cause with Bob DeLeo getting bumped off and allying yourself with his leadership team comes to be seen as a negative, then maybe you don't do it. Right. right? The circles can change. The the ground can shift. And the other thing I was just going to throw out there is, I mean, I think DeLeo is going to be under more pressure with Karen Spilka as president of the Senate. Not that the Senate wasn't progressive before, but I think it's going to be progressive and she's going to be really activist about it. Okay, I guess Yavu gets the last word because you had your finger up when Mm -hmm. Joe made the point about Karen Spilka. One quick point. Last year, Jeffrey Sanchez walked into a meeting in Mission Hill and got skewered because of uh, his lack of progress on criminal justice reform issues. And, you know, you can't help but wonder whether the pressure that the, you know, people from the left, even in running against him, are putting on him has kind of forced DeLeo, who now sees him as part of his leadership team, to say, okay, we got to take care of this stuff. So the pressure on DeLeo's lieutenants can really help push him to the left. But if they get knocked off, as Peter said, that could be a different story. And with that, another installment of The Scrum has run its course. Joan Vanaki, Yahoo Miller, Peter Kadzis, thanks to all of you for being here. And as always, thanks to you for listening. At this point, I'm 99% sure that you've already subscribed to The Scrum on Apple Podcasts or another platform of your choice. But if I'm wrong, please do. And if you have time, please leave a review, letting potential listeners know what we're all about. If you want to take issue with something we said or suggest future topics or just say hello, you can find Peter and me on Twitter. He's at Kadzis. I'm at Riley Adam, and we should get Yahoo and Jones handles in here, too. What do you guys remind me? Yahoo, you are? At Yahoo Miller. At Yahoo Miller. That's easy. How about you, Joan? At Joan underscore Vinaki. The engineer for this episode was Doug Sugarts, and we were expertly mixed by Gary Mott. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. <laughs>